Hey guys, you are listening to The Man Show, but this is a Politics for Dummies edition, hence why there was no show put out this week. We were holding fire to cover politics and didn't think that we would get this kind of result over here in the UK and the ramifications of it um, sort of left a little bit more room to look at the British general election and touch on the impeachment of Donald Trump. But what I can tell you is, is that things have taken such a shit turn and we are in such a shit storm at the moment that we are going to just be primarily focusing on UK politics and um, at this time I'm going to bring in my guest uh, who lives in the UK he's our politics expert who's regularly regularly on the show for these politics shows it's Umar Kankia Hi folks I hope you're all good yeah it's been a very interesting few days here in the UK and I know as well in, in the US but that's what we're here to break down for you guys today yeah, I, I can't justify the time for the uh, impeachment. I may have to um, do a separate show with Nick, so you may get more additions, extra additions in a man show this week. Um, but we have to talk about this. I, I'll let you... You know my views, and I know yours, but somehow, um, through our conversations, you said that we had contrasting views at certain points. I didn't see where that was but like you just you, you sort of um summarize where you're at and i'll see if i can sort of um pick it out okay so basically uh just kind of give it a bit of flavor so for those who are not aware um the uk just came out of a general election so this was our third general election since 2015 normally what happens is um our, our parliament created a law back in 2010 to say that we would only have general elections every five years but because of the issue that is Brexit, it's meant that we've gone through, uh, what we're now to our third Prime Minister since uh, 2010, or 2015 even. Um, so David Cameron left after the uh, referendum result of 2016 for the EU uh, for Brexit. And then Theresa May came in and she could not get Brexit done. So um, she took over in 2016, couldn't get Brexit done. She left um, earlier this year. Boris Johnson, former Foreign Secretary, former Mayor of London, he was resoundingly elected by the Conservative membership. A lot of issues around that. Uh, and he was Prime Minister. And again, he was suffering the same issues as everyone else was with trying to get Brexit through because there was not enough of a parliamentary majority. So he was being blocked left, right and centre from getting the Brexit deal through. He called a general election. How he got around that, and the same with Theresa May, was uh, basically the opposition party, so Labour, the Liberal Democrats, the Scottish National Party, as well as the Conservatives, agreed uh, through a vote in Parliament to have a general election. So last week on the 12th of December, which happened to be my fifth wedding anniversary as well, we had a general election, and the Conservative Party, for want of a better term, completely destroyed Labour in the general election. They have now got a working majority of 80, which basically means that where before they only had a majority of, I believe, no, they didn't have a majority, um, and they had to work with the um, DUP, which is a party in Northern Ireland, on a supply and confidence deal, which means that the DUP would vote on certain issues to help the Conservatives get their laws through. Now, the Conservatives can pretty much do whatever the fuck they want, um, because there is nobody to challenge them. So from my viewpoint, um, there was a huge movement here in the UK, uh, the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, who took over in 2015, um, kind of
kind of trying to take Labour Party back to the left in terms of the social mobility and a lot of the policies that he had. Unfortunately, this did not resonate with people in the country, and Labour has suffered their worst election results since 1935, which incidentally, if my memory serves correctly, was also the last time we had a winter election in this country. So it was not a good night for the Labour Party at all. Couple of things to add there. Um, he said it was the worst result that they had, but actually they um, they had more votes than when Tony Blair was running. So they they actually had over eleven million people vote for them. Um, it was less than the last election where there was a hung parliament, but um, but yeah, it was the worst result overall in terms of seats. Um, the there's a graph out which kind of shows you the age groups. And in terms of how they would have voted, I'm going to try and bring this up for you now because it is fascinating in terms of how this went because I think Umar's kind of sort of indicated there that, that Corbyn was a bit of a disaster and lost a lot of people. But he actually is the first um, the first guy who's run who's sort of invigorated this younger vote. He's the only guy to sort of come along and has people chanting his name. He's the only guy that I gone out and, and, and sort of campaigned for and and pushed for in terms of um, in terms of politi- in terms of a politician if you look at the category of 18 to 24 year olds and uh, this was done I know it's 650 seats but we've got 600 here uh, or varying amounts actually uh, from this poll um, labor would have won 600 seats to conservative winning zero zero seats from 18 to 24 year olds um from 25 to 49 year olds labor would have won 407 seats to conservatives winning 171 um and then where it gets to 50 to 64 year olds this is where conservatives win 354 to 215 and um the bottom right here which is um which is the uh, which is the over 65s and this is the graph which is all blue Conservatives 575 to Labour only getting 32 seats if it had just been over 65. So this is where the elections were lost. And there's been criticism sorry, thrown at people that say, the younger people that are out there protesting to say the old white racists lost this election for us. But when you look at the facts, the old white racists lost, lost this election for us. I think I don't. I think there's um, there's a few nuances to this election, and in a way, I publicly I held faith that Corbyn was going to win this election and he was going to do a great job and reform the country. Privately, um, and it's only now in the last few days that I've been coming out saying it because um, you know I don't want to be seen to be uh, a, a Labour basher or anything, but privately I've been saying for weeks and months to people that I just don't think that Labour are going to do this because two reasons. One is the Brexit factor. Um, a lot of people, and this term has been used a lot, has been Turkey's voting for Christmas. Now, the Brexit deadlock has been a massive issue for us over the last three and a half years since the referendum result. And I think Labour made a mistake by trying to have a position whereby they were saying, listen, we'll give 
the people a vote. Uh, we'll let them get back and make a decision on this. You know, let's discuss all of this. And actually, people have been sick of going to the polls because since 2015, we've had four elections, four major elections, which is more, you know, had more elections in the last four years than I've been eligible to vote for since 1997. So my first election that I was eligible to vote for would have been the 2005 election. So it would have been, so yeah, 2005 would have been the first time I would have been able to vote. So since then, We've had 2005, 2010, 2015. Uh, then we've had the referendum in 2016, general election 2017. Then we've had the um, general election again last week. So that's six elections just in the last 14 years alone, which is completely unheard of, especially in the UK and other countries where democracy is a bit of a challenge. I get that. But over here, that is a massive issue. So I think the Brexit issue was widely underestimated by the Labour Party. The second thing, I think was crucial, was the perception of Jeremy Corbyn himself. Now, the media did a complete hatchet job on this guy. There is no question about it. He was completely destroyed on a daily basis. You know, most of the media, probably barring... 43% of these people said that they didn't vote for Labour because of Jeremy Corbyn. And only uh, 31% said that it was because of Brexit. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think the Corbyn factor is something that cannot be underestimated. Um, and I think the hatchet job that was done by the right-wing press, people like the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, you know, those kind of newspapers did not help the situation. And I think Corbyn, his issue, in my view, is that he tried to straddle the fence a bit too much. And I think where Boris Johnson's um, policy and message was very clear, get Brexit done, unlocking Britain's potential, it's oven ready, blah, blah, blah. All these buzzwords, these things are things that will cut through very quickly. With Labour, it was very much, okay, we're going to have another vote. Well, sorry, we're going to go and negotiate a new deal, then we're going to put it to another vote. And I think for a lot of people in the country, people don't want to be going to the polls again next year. I know we've got a lot of local council elections in 2020 and the mayoral elections in London, but people are sick of going to the polling station. People are sick of um, politicians not getting things done. And I think ultimately what we saw was the silent majority, as I like to call them, who came out and basically, these are the type of people that will not come out and say on record, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Tory or whatever and I'm going to vote this way and I believe in Brexit or whatever. These are the people that are just quietly getting on with their work when it comes to the ballot box. They're going to put their ex next to the Conservative candidate and that's how they're going to push it through. And I think that is ultimately what we saw play out uh, last Thursday. When that um, exit poll came out and they were predicting a majority, of, I think it was initially between 76 and 86, I was just like, whoa. And a lot of people were like, oh, it could be wrong. I was like, nah. Pollsters, the exit polls, the margin of error would be maybe there might be 20 seats out either way. So it might be we could be looking at a majority of 90 or we could be looking at a majority, sorry, yeah, uh, uh, over 100 or we could be looking at a majority of about 50. But telling you now, the Conservatives are going to have a large working majority. So I think that, for me, is where the issue lies and I think that's where a lot of this has been a huge issue. And I think people, obviously, as Labour and the country are dissecting what's going on. It's just such a, it's a travesty that this has happened. 
But in a way, I'm not that surprised that this has happened. But I, the, the, the key element that you touched on there is, is that the media influenced this completely. And the thing is, is that a lot of people, you say that they just silently went to the ballot boxes, etc. I don't really think that they did. Um, I, I don't think you can just throw, throw that out there. When you look at the actual numbers um, for, for the 18s to 24s and then the 25s to 49s and then where it does a complete U-turn or a complete 180 the other way, you have to look at these people being the age group that still buy the newspapers, that still read the mail and, and the sum, the people that still pay attention to the biased broadcasting of the BBC that, that, that did influence yeah. this election. Now, they're the ones that painted Corbyn as a anti-Semite. They're the ones that painted Corbyn as a terrorist. They're the ones that influenced these people to not vote for this guy that was linked to the IRA and an anti-Semite and a danger to the country, intimidated these people to, to, to vote a certain way. Whereas that is actually nothing that what Jeremy Corbyn stands for. And the younger people can, can see through it. I can see through it. And I also believe that he had a manifesto that worked. And obviously that was economically approved by people as well. Um, yeah. But this ended up just that. all being about vilifying Corbyn. As opposed to, yes, there was a Brexit element in terms of a lot of people blindly somehow not seeing the, po the point where... Yeah, you voted for something three years ago, but it was a fucking lie. And somehow they missed all of the media coverage that, yeah, we're not going to have a ton of more money. We're not going to have amazing trade deals and our NHS isn't going to get better. They missed the fact that Boris and Farage were proven to be liars. They missed all of that coverage and were still stubbornly waving their fists and saying, we want what we voted for three years ago, even though what you voted for wasn't real. And Corbyn came out and basically offered them and said, this is what should have happened in the first place. This is what Brexit is. This is the deal. Do you want this deal? Yes or no? And if you do want this deal, then we will, when we will get out of the European Union. That's what Corbyn was putting forward. That's what that prick Cameron should have put forward in the first place. Before he even sent us to the polls to vote for this, this referendum, he should have gone and done the deal in the first place. The whole backwards thing about this entire thing was the arrogance of the Tories in the first place, thinking that this was going to be an automatic thing where we stay in the EU, where they didn't bother to go and get the deal done in the first place. There should have been a potential deal to say, we are going to put this to the people. Um, we're not going to be arrogant about it and think that we can predict the outcome automatically. We're going to put this to the people. What kind of deal do you think we're going to have? And then tell us what it was and then let us vote for it. But you're basically saying that the fist waivers automatically did it. Uh, automatically just wanted what they said. They said, we, 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 they were basically saying that they said, we wanted this three years ago. You haven't done it. We we're going to vote for it again blindly. And, and so sort of disregarding the, um, the ridiculous job that they did on Corbyn, but somehow this didn't translate down to, to the youngsters. It did some, because you did see some people going on Facebook, but I also think there was an element of people using this election. Um, and you know how social media is, you know how vain people are. And it's all about status. I think some people were using it to pretend that they were successful. I think some people were antagonising people by saying that they were Tory vo voters um, to try and sort of disguise the fact that they are middle income and mid and, and working class people. 
Um, so I'll disregard that side of things with the people that were antagonizing others, the Tories that were antagonizing people on Facebook, and just look at this older demographic that I feel were influenced by the newspapers. And surely that yeah. that we ha- that has to be looked at in terms of the sum who have never backed a loser, which is a fact. Do you, uh, the only time that they decided to go with Labour was when Blair was in charge. And that yeah, means that they have never, ever backed a loser. So this, this publication are determining who governs this country every single time since Thatcher. Yeah, I think, I think okay, breaking it down um, in a couple of ways. So I think the issue, I mean, Labour, Labour were vilified no question about it, Corbyn especially was vilified in the mainstream press, whether that was on the BBC, whether that was on um, so, uh, sorry, not social media, uh, whether it's in the papers, you know, Labour had a huge mountain to climb off of that basis. Now, I think people maybe have under, or sorry, overestimated how much importance Facebook and social media plays in the roles of people's lives in this country. Uh, in relation to the elections, because I think in America, obviously, back in 2008, Obama used it as a way to mobilize young Americans and uh, you know get people behind him. And obviously, with, with America, we have a presidential-style system. Ultimately, here in the UK, and I think the thing that kind of frustrates me a little bit, obviously, when we kind of, kind of try and frame it as this Boris versus... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, blah, 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 Labour versus Conservatives. It is to an extent, but actually, for a lot of people, people are thinking, I think a lot of times, people think more local. So if you're voting for someone, it may be that you're voting for them one of two things. Either that's the person that you've known for a long time, you're happy with them, they might be a Conservative, but hey-ho, you know you know that they'll get the job done, they'll get shit done, no problems with that. Or it's a protest vote, so people are voting because... You know, they don't want a particular person to, to come in because they don't like that particular person. And I just think Labour put too much, and I suppose it wasn't their fault in a way because of the way the media had played it, but I think Labour tried to paint it way too much about a them and us type of situation. So I think where I was talking about the silent majority, I'm talking about those people that are comfortably, you know, middle class those people who maybe have built up businesses from scratch uh, or new generation of ethnic minorities. So, yeah, people like myself, well, I didn't vote conservative, but people like myself, like you, that are kind of first generation born in the UK, where I think our parents maybe have an allegiance to Labour because when they first came over, Labour were the ones that were very much about kind of promoting ethnic harmony and kind of diversity, inclusion, that kind of thing. The Conservatives, I don't know, shared things on Facebook and stuff. They used to run dog whistle campaigns, basically. So, you know, talking about if you don't want to, if you want to nigger, vote Labour, or whatever it was. So kind of the you know, power type of situations. But now, people are working, people are earning more money, uh, especially within our generation uh, and our kind of ethnic group, and I find. And people think about money in a very different way. And I think Part of the issue was, as much as Labour are trying to promote a fairer, freer society, I get that, I am all about that. I think for a lot of people, people still are insulated and thinking about, what, how is this going to benefit me? So when Boris Johnson is talking about raising the high tax threshold from 
was it 50k at the moment to 80k and you're thinking okay I'm earning about 65k I'm going to have more money in my pocket if I vote this way um, and you know I've got to think about my family I've got to think about my legacy I've got to think about my kids and whatnot and then Labour are talking about well we want to tax I mean yes you know, it was taxing the top 5% but that's not how it was being framed and actually you know it was costed and whatnot like, I understand that but I think people were thinking about their pockets and the Brexit issue yes I've got a lot of issues around that because I think the referendum itself in my opinion should never have happened people in 2010 were not talking about oh this European Union I think it's a lot of shit we need to leave it it's always been a conservative issue it's always been a problem for groups within the conservatives like the European Research Group you know Jacob Lee Smog and Co it's always been an issue for them but it was then made into a mainstream issue and suddenly people were like, oh yeah, Europe, oh I don't like Europe, yeah we need to leave Europe and not actually maybe truly understanding the full nuances behind it. Why I say that the referendum results should have stood and they should have just let them crack on is if they had done that, you know, in 2016, negotiated a deal then, passed it through Parliament, leave the EU, probably would have left the EU by now in 2019. Um, and then if things are bad, because our next general election would have actually been next year. Uh, so if things are bad and people can see, actually, you know what, you sold us a lie. Um, this EU stuff, actually, we were a lot better off when we were part of the union rather than being out of it. Then I think Labour's manifesto would have resonated a lot more because I think no matter how much the right wing press would have tried to spin it, I think when people can physically feel that they are losing out or, you know, things that have been promised to them has not materialised, so jobs have not happened. We've had 10 years of it, though. That's the thing. How can we not feel it now? Like, we're, there, there's, there's millions of people in austerity and those areas voted for the Conservative government, like Blyth and Wales, um, mm. the, the, low, the, the constituency of the Grenfell Tower have put the Tories in. It just doesn't make any sense. And this is why people are screaming uh, fix and you have these stories out about polling stations and youngsters losing their, um, uh, not, not being registered, even though they're registered and stuff. Like, I don't really subscribe to those conspiracy theories as much because I think it's such a small, it's such a majority that I don't know if the differences would be, if, it, if we were talking about seven or seven or eight seats, then you're willing to listen to these theories, but it's so vast yeah. that you can't really... Yeah, no, when it's 80, no, nah, you, you can't, can't, you can't, can't give it however, much. It might have happened, but yeah, I'm not... Of course, it, it, it might have happened, but the thing is, is that in, in terms of this vast, this vast majority was obtained by by what the, what the media dictated. Now, I don't think that there was really much attention paid to the, the Labour manifesto. I believe that you needed to be... Um, not, not, not. I wouldn't say have a a deep interest in politics, but you would have to at least have a passing interest in politics to have been tuning in for those debates. It's not like those debates were getting viewing figures of um, forty or fifty million. It's not like the entire country was engaged. It, uh, they were probably getting less viewers than a lot of the, the actual general uh, regular TV programs that were put on. I imagine uh, the likes of X Factor probably beat those debates, um, for example. So. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not like everybody was fully engaged to the exact details of the Labour manifesto. Likewise, um, they wouldn't have been engaged with the, with the Tory manifesto at all. They were, so they were reliant on the press to kind of dictate um, what, what was what. And I think you can there's too much trust in, in the press to do that. And, and I'll give you one example that I that I spoke to you about. Some a little nugget that I have unveiled in terms of the um, the Tory immigration policy. I left a voice note for you on uh, in the group. I don't know if you got to listen to it or not. Um, no, I think I chance something. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so the, the new Tory immigration policy, which um, mostly encourages those coming over with skills. Um, going for jobs over 36k, which has been um, mainly rolled out by by Preeti Patel, who is a who is a bitch, by the way. Um, and she um, th- this new policy encourages a certain type of people to come over. Now, when you break this down, at the moment, a lot of the immigrants that sort of come over to this country, I would say, have to be here. Uh, are from like war-torn areas, are looking just for a better life. And they will take jobs where they become our delivery drivers. They will drive our Ubers. They will work in our shops. They will wait on our tables. They will join the NHS. These are not really things that are causing us many problems. They're actually helping us in these situations. Agree or disagree? No, I, I totally. Yeah, okay. they they do a lot of the low skilled, low paid jobs. Okay, yeah. so if you're introducing these these people and you're saying that the threshold now is that we want these skilled migrants to come over that are coming over for thirty six thousand k jobs, won't our own kids then be ostracised for these positions? In terms of if our if we don't want our kids working in factories and doing retail jobs and working in 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 in, in shops and bars and and doing these low skilled jobs we're now putting them in competition with this new breed of coming and i'm calling them a breed because we are a social society here in britain where we where our kids like to play playstations and go on the ipads and go out and play football and they like to start drinking as young as they can i'm not knocking it because i did it myself but this is the british way of life our children like it or not are not as focused as these robots that will be obsessed with being doctors they will be obsessed with being solicitors they will they will even be happy to be um working in offices or being estate agents or whatever the threshold is i don't know if i'm necessarily outlining 36k jobs but i do think that you understand where i'm going with yeah, yeah. examples so we are actually setting a ridiculously competitive environment for our children and i assure you that the costs of training people up for these jobs in other countries is substantially lower than it is in this country. And the Tories have nothing in the manifesto in terms of training more people to do these better jobs. So in turn, what we're doing is we are handing over these jobs to these super people, these robots, these foreign robots that are going to be coming over. So the people that are going, we want our jobs back. We want our country back, mate. All the good jobs are going to be going to these super migrants. So, in fact, you're actually in a worse position than you were before. Is that not correct? How have people missed this? Yeah, I think people are definitely going to be affected by this. I mean, we've already seen. But it was completely It was not mentioned at all. It was. It was almost a nugget that I had to unveil. No, I get that, but I think people. I think the way people consume 
their news and the way that people consume things. Yes, you're right in saying the sun because it's got the highest readership in this country and it has consistently been the highest read news publication on a daily basis for God knows how many years. And you're right to say since Thatcher, they have correctly predicted the next prime minister and government of this country every single election since 1979. So they've got a 40-year track record of getting this right. So there's no question about that. But I think the issue is about, um, for me, the Corbyn issue, as, as one thing, has been an issue for a number of years now. And I think people are maybe trying to skirt around that a bit too much. And I can speak from experience, because I ran for a local council uh, to be a councillor in my area about, yeah, it was about three years ago now, so not long after Corbyn had come in. And one thing that I kept hearing on the doorstep in 2016, which a lot of MPs and those who lost their seats were hearing this year in 2019, was very simply, I would vote Labour, but I don't like Jeremy Corbyn. I'd vote Labour, but I don't like your stance on Brexit. I'd vote Labour, but Jeremy Corbyn. So it's kind of like, you know, that was a huge issue. And I think, that in a way, the 2017 election kind of skewers things a little bit, because I think, it, I, in a way, to me personally, I feel like the 2017 election, I think, painted a bit of a false narrative, uh, because... Corbyn went up against Theresa May, who is, as we know, was highly incompetent. She completely blew the election. She was not disciplined, didn't have a clear message. The whole strong and stable ship just fell apart at the seams. Uh, you know, a couple more weeks, and I think we would have had a Labour government. No question about that. This time around, you've got Boris Johnson, who, you know, yes, we know he's a proven liar. He's a known liar. We know this. But what he has behind him is, he had eight years in London. Yes, there are arguments about how he fucked that one up. I get that. He's a former foreign secretary. He's been in public office for a number of years. And people, for some reason or another, like his bushroodery. People relate to that shit. And the Conservatives had a very clear message. You know, it was get Brexit done, unlock Britain's potential. It was a very clear message. They were not talking about anything else but Brexit. So when, you're, when your focus is purely on that one issue. And we already knew going into this, it was going to be a single topic election. And I think for Labour, they promised way too much to people um, in the sense of we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could do that. And I think people were like, hang on, I know it's been costed, but really, how are we going to be able to afford to do all of this? What, so you want to give us free broadband? Uh, how's that going to work? You know, is it going to be good broadband or is it you just a gimmick. You know, we want to invest more in the NHS, we want to invest more in police services. And for me, I think, had Labour had a more, um, what's the word, public-friendly leader, I think this would have been a much more... Well, why, wasn't, why, why, why wasn't he public-friendly? Fr- public because he's won, he's won peace prizes, um, he, invigor- he, he motivated all of the young people to go out there and, and vote. Uh, he's having his name charted from place to place. You've got T-shirts, posters, wallpapers. Um, yeah, just, I think just, this I, resonates. I, it resonates with a certain audience. Like you know, Boris Johnson couldn't go to Glastonbury, for example, and get people charming. Oh, I tell you, I, I, I tell you, I know, I know, you're sitting on the fence about it, but Boris Johnson certainly entices his own audience. The audience that actually enjoy the bum boys comment there's an audience that actually enjoys 
the letterbox yeah, comments. I, I think there's a large portion of this country, and we can ignore it if we want to, that enjoyed all of that side of it and think that they have put one of their own in there, which is a racist who wants them out and wants their country back. And when they hear these words coming from Boris, be it a case of they resonate with it or even being as simplistic as they find him to be funny. Um, I think he did resonate with a, with a whole bunch of people. And that really was the problem. I was scared of Boris from the moment that he, that he came in. I did not want Boris to be the prime minister because I knew that he that he would beat Jeremy Corbyn because he he also has that X factor that 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 Corbyn that Corbyn has and I and I'm not confident um, and this is a completely different subject about anybody kind of stepping into Corbyn's shoes um, out of the out of the shortlist that we have because I feel that the young voters are going to evaporate. Yeah, I think to, uh, again, I think in order to be successful. Um, and again, this is another thing that I've got. Is this the stance where, it, when you say, when you said, sorry, just to say, just a premise, yeah. we, we might be on it now. When you said, I disagree with some of the things you say because we primarily are voting on the, for the same thing or we want the same things. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's Corbyn that we are different on, right? That that's where. Yeah. We're... So yeah, yeah, for me, it's Corbyn, and I think the Brexit position as well, because right. uh, I think I've kind of shifted a little bit. So before I was thinking about, oh yeah, we should have a second referendum, but then actually the Democrat in me says. No, we shouldn't, because, you know, as much as, yes, I, I accept people have said there's been a lot of lies that have been perpetuated or whatever over the course of things, but that's electioneering generally. People have been doing that for years. Like, you know, people have got elected off false promises for years and years and years, and, you know, we've never had to rerun those elections. And I think, for me, Corbyn, again, I've, I've said this time and time again privately, and I'm saying it a bit more publicly now, He's a great man. I've met him. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. There is no question about it. But when it comes to leadership, when it comes to being a political leader, when it comes to being a potential prime minister, he just doesn't have it. Yes, he's got the X factor when it comes to young people and the young audience and mobilizing them. And I completely get that. You know, it's great. But when you're talking about the middle, and this country is very much a centrist country and it has been now probably since about the Thatcher times um, you know so people vote on the lines of either being centre right or centre left you can't go as far to the left as what Corbyn did and expect people to kind of resonate with that and when we're talking about the older generation that were voting a lot of them remember those days of kind of um, electricity cuts um, the strikes that were going on um, shortages, all that kind of stuff. So when you're talking to somebody who's 50 and you've got Corbyn talking about we want to renationalise X, Y and Z, they've got a long memory because they can go back and go, actually, hang on, uh, I remember when it was under British Rail or I remember when water was publicly owned and how shit it was then. I don't want to go back to that because I've made my money and you know I'm happy to pay someone else to run that service, but I want to live a kind of comfortable existence. Whereas I think for a lot of young people who have come up, yes, a lot of them have grown up now in the times of austerity and kind of that free movement of, you know, going into Europe and being able to just, literally, I could, if I wanted to, I could get down to St. Pancras right now with my passport, buy a ticket, and I could be in Paris within two hours um, without having to apply for any visas or whatnot. So people, I think, are fearful of losing the ability to do that, rightfully so but they don't necessarily 
have had, they've, they've not necessarily have had the experiences that a lot of what their parents and their grandparents have. And I think a lot of people were voting along those kind of lines as well. So they've got that memory of what it was like in the 70s and the early 80s, um, you know, when things were really bad and, you know, when we had, obviously this was kind of Thatcher times, but this is when Thatcher was trying to overdo, overturn a lot of what happened before. So that, I think, plays a part in it. So I'm not surprised that Labour got out a solid youth vote. That doesn't surprise me in the, in the slightest. Um, and in a way, I'm not surprised that the Conservatives got the votes where ultimately it mattered in the sense that, you know, young people, yes, you know, former youth work, I'm not saying they don't matter. Of course young people matter. They are the future. But they don't have the same strength in numbers as those who are in that middle, the ones that I call the silent majority who are making, you know, their 60, 70, 80k a year. They've got houses because they were able to get on the housing ladder when it was still a possibility to do so. They're now thinking about inheritance tax and all those tax breaks and making sure that their kids are well looked after. So people were voting along those kind of lines. Um, they're not going to come out and be like, rah, 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 we're conservative, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, I meet these kind of people all the time where ask them what their political views are. That's a private matter for me. I'm not going to talk about it. But actually, go to the polling station on polling day, you know where their ex is going to be going to. So I think that's kind of, for me, where a lot of this issue has kind of come from, really. But in terms of addressing the, the issues where they were influenced and there's been a lot of stuff being chucked out by people that support both parties, um, where do you stand on, on the stuff in terms of where Corbyn is a racist, Corbyn is an anti-Semite, um, Boris is a racist? Um, who, who's racist here? Is anybody racist or is that is that just kind of a an easy sound bite for people to kind of throw out um like, well, what what's the real issue here where where both men stand what what is what do you think about um corbyn's past and in terms of does that literally make it impossible for him to run or is it more so about um the way he conducts himself now um and then of course and then the, and then yeah. the boris issue i think i think take that separately as a separate question because i think otherwise you'll be giving me a, a 20 minute answer here <laughs> okay, so from the, the Corbyn perspective, I don't believe he's racist. I think he, if you look back at Corbyn's history, he's always been on the right side of history. So in terms of um, apartheid and kind of you know kind of voting against that, and taking a very strong moral stance on a number of things that over the course of history the Iraq War has proven him to be correct. Now I think Corbyn is pro Palestine. But then there's the issue, and I'm not going to get into this because that's a whole different topic for another day, but there are issues around, you know, if you're seen to be anti-Jewish, which I don't believe Corbyn is, then obviously that brings in the whole anti-Semitism argument, but actually you could be distant, you know, it's not that you're anti-Jewish, but you're anti a lot of the policies that they stand for, so kind of the Zionist regime, that type of thing. Um, so I don't think he is, in my view, I don't believe he is um, a racist. Um, I think, obviously, he's had those links with groups like Hamas and, um, you know, the work that he's doing around the peace process with the IRA, with Jerry Adams and uh, Martin McGuinness back in the day. Um, so people are going to paint that narrative of him. And I think where he 
where he made a mistake was kind of maybe, I know he was grilled on this morning by Philip Schofield and asked to uh, apologise, which he did, but the interview he did with Andrew Mill, which a lot of people would have seen, he didn't. I think that's an issue that he could have just nipped in the bud quite quickly. Uh, but the anti-Semitism issue has been following Labour around since he's been in office. So, you know, I don't remember people ever talking about anti-Semitism before it's funny, they're not talking about it now either. Well, no, because, you know, it's, what's done is done now because, you know, Corbyn is on his way out. So, yeah, in that sense, I don't believe he's racist. But I just think he, he has stood on the right side of things. But again, it goes back to the point I was making earlier where if the media are hammering a certain type of narrative, you know, that is what's going to resonate. So if the Sun are putting in certain images out there on the front page going, hey, you know, this guy's an anti-Semite and, you know, it's the most read newspaper in the country, people are going to be thinking along those kind of lines. So, you know, mainstream media still does play a major role and I think it didn't help when you've got people like Laura Kunzberg at the BBC, uh, others at ITV and Sky News as well, they obviously were portraying a certain type of narrative. So, in that sense, uh, kind of going around that way but in short I do not believe that Jeremy Corbyn is a racist Ter- and, and it links to terrorism as well no I don't believe that at all I think he's somebody that's worked to try and assist the peace process whether it's been in uh, Northern Ireland whether it's been uh, in Israel Palestine uh, I think he's been trying to find solutions to those problems but I don't believe that he is a sympathiser to the terrorist cause no, and and that and that I think what you said is quite crystal clear in terms of literally being able to do. I would think all of ten minutes of of, of reading just just on the the Wikipedia page alone in terms of peace prizes and, and things of that nature, and then it's only when you get down to the uh, reception section, which is which is basically on everybody's. Uh, Every every personality has that on their Wikipedia page, where you look at the media reception, and it, and it actually has some alarming statistics about um, the negative way that he's portrayed in the press, which is exceeds eighty percent. He's the most negatively uh, portrayed politician in history. Um, so I mean, and 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 is and is not even, and there isn't even really that much to, to go on. Uh, in in order to do that, and until and it shows you in terms of what they can really do if they want to, in terms of this this peaceful man that, as you said, has always been on the right side of history, and how they have managed to portray him. It does it does always point to the power of the media. Whereas at the same time, on the other side of the fence, you have an actual racist and an actual liar who's been portrayed positively by by the media. You have two completely contrasting characters and as I wrote out a, a text to somebody um, one of my American friends explaining this um, it's almost impossible to envision how this person has won with the exception of the fact that you have the media there I'm trying to find the text uh, as I'm talking to you um, here we go yeah. um, so we have uh, one one this is this is just this is very much this isn't this isn't in depth at all this is a summary a, a simplistic summary of how I saw things um, and mm-hmm. explaining it to a um, to a non follower um, 
I said, so we have a, a, a devil saint situation here. Uh, one was an open racist who calls Muslim women letterboxes and gay men bum boys who had no policies other than guaranteeing it would take us out of Europe because he wants to sell our free healthcare to Donald Trump and not fall... Um, not fall under EU environment regulations as we are one of the most polluted countries in the world. He also wants to stop immigration and send home migrants. Um, he has insulted working class people in multiple written articles and avoided all difficult political interviews and debates during the campaign. He's up against a man who wants to increase the tax for the top 5% earners to end austerity so that we can have a minimum wage of £10, more housing, more police and more hospitals. He's offered free nationalised broadband and exposed the US Dash UK healthcare deal in leaked documents. He also wanted to pull the British troops out of Yemen. Guess who won? Um, so yeah, that was that was my casual uh, casual summary of of, of, of events. Uh, obviously, the um, the end immigration thing uh, is a bit extreme because he doesn't want to end immigration, as we've sort of found out in the manifesto. He only wants the um, the sort of top people coming over. He wants a uh, Australian type immigration system I believe so but aside from that that that's what we have and um it, it is it is I, I I still think despite the fact as much as you break it down and you can be on here breaking it down for three four hours the whole guess who won thing still doesn't sit right with me in terms of when you look at the two characters involved no I agree um I think coming on to an, analyzing Boris Johnson in the same way we did with Jeremy Corbyn do I think he's racist Yes, I think he knows how to, you know, I don't care what anyone says, you're not going to sit there and call, um, say about black people, about having watermelon smiles and pickaninnies, uh, talking about Muslim women, uh, letter boxes or ninja turtles, as he's referred to them as well in other, in other areas, um, being homophobic and referring to gay people as bomb boys, that kind of thing. You cannot say that somebody who talks like that, don't care how they try and dress it up, is not racist. Now... Does that speak to where the country is at, that they are happy to elect and give somebody such a huge mandate in the way that they have, despite all of this? That, for me, is what is probably the most worrying thing. Um, you know, people are willing to trust someone who basically lied his way, doesn't even know how many kids he's got, um, has lied his way through so many political appointments, um, hasn't got a clue how to kind of run things properly. He, he did a huge botch job on London um, when he was mayor for eight years there. He completely fucked up at the Foreign Office, um, not reading his briefs until he gets there. But he's carefully cultivated a persona that people love, which is the whole bumbling idiot kind of trying to pretend that he's saying things that he's just thought of but actually when you dig into it he knows what he's saying he's already pre-planned what he's saying it's just that he knows how to act as if it is not it's something that he's just casually just come up with off the top of his head so to me I just feel like um, yeah he is somebody that people feel oh you know yeah we like him he says what we maybe what we think or you know he says things that we're not necessarily allowed to say or because of the whole PC culture uh, and whatnot. But 
you know, since the election, I know people that have suddenly, and even during the election, people have been attacked, being told, you know, once Boris gets in, you lot are going to be sent back to your home countries and blah, blah, blah. So there's definitely an audience out there uh, that resonates with him. But I think with Boris as well, there's also the fact that I think he will say what he thinks is going to get him the most attention and what's going to get him the most votes. Now, he took a very different tone on Friday after the election. He kind of, you know, none of this dog whistling that was going on during the election. Suddenly he's like, you know, we are now, this is the people's government, one nation conservatism. And actually, if you look at him, he's a little bit liberal in some respects. He's not as hard right as he has portrayed himself out to be. But I think what's happened is with this election, same with Brexit, he, alongside Dominic Cummins, who's his kind of uh, main advisor at number 10 and helped with the Brexit referendum as well, I think they saw an opportunity. They analysed what was going on around the country and they were like, OK, if we aim our message in this particular direction, it's going to resonate. Because it was going to go one of two ways. Either the country were going to reject his message and either come back with a hung part because I don't think... Labour were ever going to come back with a majority government. I think at best they could have hoped for was hung parliament with a coalition type arrangement. Or Boris is going to come back with a stonking majority. Unfortunately, depending on obviously which way of the political divide you lie, but from my perspective, I think it's unfortunate. But he has now got a stonking majority, which means that Labour essentially are out of power for another five years minimum. But I do think that because of the mess that Labour is in generally, I think we may not see another Labour government until 2029, probably at the end. Do you not think there is a lot of um, vote borrowing going on in this in this situation in terms of in under normal circumstances when you look at this kind of majority, you would say exactly what you've just said. Um, they're not going to be in for 10 years. They have too many. You're not going to make up 80 seats in five years, etc. However, do you not feel that there was a lot of, in terms of, I don't particularly like the Conservatives, I don't particularly like Boris, but I do want Brexit done, I can't vote for Corbyn, this kind of thing. Do you not think that there was a lot of that in terms of, this is what we have to do, as opposed to rather than not voting, um, we're going to lend our votes to the Conservative until there is a more viable option for us there. Um, obviously swayed by the um, obviously swayed by the um, by the again by the media as well. Do you not think that this is the one instance where you can look at that majority and say actually um, we can disregard it somewhat because a lot of these sort of um, definitive and regular Labour towns are going to come back next time. Well, I don't think so because I think. Um in my view, I think Labour have... I think for as long as they are where they are in terms of politically... You don't think so, like, even if Conservatives will predictably fuck this up? And Well, no, because we've had nine years of austerity and that's still going to stop people from giving the Conservatives their vote because the argument now... When Brexit is, is a disaster at the borders and, and financially and, and, and everything, I mean, I mean, I want to talk about that as well at the end of the show in terms of sort of I want you to sort of outline what the future looks like but in terms of 
if it does look bleak, and we'll talk about how bleak in a minute, do you not think that that mm. can quickly turn it around? Um, there's a there's a different leader there. They, there's a there's a woman there, for example, um, yeah. who they can't yeah. throw under the bus. Can they not turn this majority around? I personally, I don't think Labour are going to be able to turn this around in the next electoral cycle. I think eighty is such a huge number to have to try and combat. And as well, I think. Where Umar, there's, ne- there's never been so much of oh I don't really want to vote for them but I can't vote for him that, that, that's, not been a, yeah, that's not been a phrase that's been banded around very often no I agree but I think this is I, I can already tell you and you know we can fast look back on this in five years time but I think what's going to happen is obviously from what I'm hearing today in the news they want to put no um, they basically want to put in law that Brexit has to be done by next year so there's not going to be any extensions beyond the 31st of December 2020 so that means that if there's no trade agreements and there's no deals with the EU that basically is going to be you know it's going to be a hard Brexit no deal I think the mentality that a lot of people have when it comes to this Brexit issue is um, especially when you speak to people on the doorstep people are willing to write this out for a, a long time if it means that they are going to get the type of Brexit that they want so I think the Conservatives, their message is going to be simple. Okay, so the first year we, we, we spent doing trade deals, trade agreements, blah, 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 blah. It didn't work So with the EU, so therefore we've had to spend the next couple of years. Because a trade agreement does not happen in the life cycle of a parliament. It takes you know at least seven, eight years before you can get a decent trade agreement with any country. Now, if the UK are trying to do that with over 150-plus countries, you know what? You know where I'm going with this. It's going to take a long time. So people are going to want to see. Um, they're going to play this out. The second issue is, um, I think, the American issue. So obviously, Trump. We know he's in the middle of impeachment process at the moment. So will he still be president come next year's elections? We don't know. But our next general election is going to coincide with the next um, presidential elections. They're going to be both in the same year. So 2024 is going to be quite a big year and I think depending on where we are with America and the relationship in terms of who might be potentially coming in as president as well the type of agreements that we have with with the Americans I think that can also play a bit of a role but I do think that you know Labour are in a huge bind right now they have got to they've got to get this next leader right and you know whether it's Rebecca Long-Bailey, whether it's Angela Rayner, whether it's Dawn Butler, whether it's Keir Starmer, whoever it is, the next couple of years is just going to be spent trying to weather the storm of how this Brexit stuff is because Labour can vote against this deal, but it's not going to make a blind bit of difference because Boris has got the majority that he needs to make it happen. They need to kind of double down and focus on, okay, what direction are we wanting to take the, the party in? It's, to me, I feel like this hard left, Corbyn experiment has failed. So are you going to continue with that in the hope that actually maybe people will come back to you? Which will be what, Rebecca Long-Bailey? No, I don't think so. Me personally, I don't think Rebecca Long-Bailey would be the right person because I think she's too closely connected with uh, Jeremy Corbyn. The only thing is she was not as exposed in the elections. Uh, For me personally, I think Angela Rayner would be a great leader for Labour or Keir Starmer. So I think with Angela Rayner, because she's from the North, uh, she would resonate well. She's female, and Labour have never had a female leader before. 
I think all of that stuff, a lot of people I think are going to be would be able to identify with her, whether you're male, female, whether you're black or white. Keir Starmer, I think the problem with him is he is that centrist guy that you would want, but he's got a very remaining position. Now, if the country have overwhelmingly voted to get Brexit done, that could be an issue, especially if they're still banging on that drum in four or five years' time. Um, so, one of those two. I think Dawn Butler would be great, black um, female MP. She, you'd see her very often sat next to Jeremy Corbyn on the front benches. Uh, I know Dawn, I think she's a fantastic MP. I think she'd be, I think she'd be a brilliant leader, but the only issue is, would the UK be ready to accept a black woman as a leader? No. Uh, number one. Okay. And number two, when it comes to election time, would people be willing to vote for a black woman to be prime minister? So, um, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. In my, I'm worried about a woman. I'm worried about a woman. Full stop. Because I, I do think that was kind of some of the things that that Theresa, Theresa May fell under. Because I think just, just the whole brings back the visions of Thatcher, and I, I don't. I don't think that the country will trust a woman to run anyway. I mean, we saw what happened to Hillary Clinton as well. I just don't think people are electing women in this day and age. I think it's. I think it's more to do with. I think Theresa May was overwhelmed by the office of Prime Minister. I think it's more to do with... I mean, she ran the Home Office in a certain way. It was what it was. I just think she was just a shit leader. And I think part of it was... It's not because she was a woman. For me, I think it's to do with the fact that her personality was such that she could not get people around her. I think to be a leader, you've got to be the kind of person that can attract people from all sides of your political divide. So you've got to be able to appeal to the centrists, you've got to be able to appeal to the moderates, you've got to be able to appeal to the hardliners. If, you could, if you're only appealing to one section of your party, as Labour did, then what happened is what happened last week. If you appeal to your... If you appeal to everyone in your party, because Boris, essentially, he lied to everyone. He lied to the moderates, he lied to the uh, hardliners, he lied to the centrists, you know, but everyone believed the lie, so everyone backed him, everyone bought into his message, and that's why he's Prime Minister with a, with a stonking majority. Same thing happened with, with Blair back in 97. You know, he had to get everybody around him um, to be able to do that, because Labour before then was too much going too far to the left. Same with Thatcher in, in uh, 79, 83, 87. Um, you know, she was somebody that was able to get people behind her, get behind her policies. And I think as a leader, you can't have a situation where, you know, you've got a majority of people that are speaking out regularly against your leadership because that undermines you completely. You know, you wouldn't want to work in an organisation where people are speaking ill of the leadership all the time and actually they're only appealing to a certain part of the work membership because that's going to damage morale and that's going to end up affecting how you perform and how you view that company and that organisation you work for. And ultimately, that's what happened with Labour. The fact that Tom Watson stepped down as deputy leader, Tom Watson, who's regarded as kind of more the middle of the road, more on the Blair side of the party, he stood down on the eve of the election. You know, that... That, to me, sent a message. It was very clear that there's a huge level of disunity in the party. 
that had not been addressed as much as people like to think that it has it hasn't and again I think this is why we got the result that we got Where, What do you think Brexit is going to mean now because everybody's you know we've, we've, we've had although it isn't and I think obviously this is this is an opinion in itself. I feel like this is the second referendum anyway, um, and we've voted for Brexit twice. Um, you may disagree with that, but I, this is what it's not a hundred percent. That's okay. why hundred percent. I think this was the second re- referendum right. for sure. Okay, so so we agree on that. So if now that that's happened, what does Brexit look like for us? Uh, it's a hard one because I think Brexit's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to negotiate some kind of deal with the EU or we're going to crash out next December. So 2021 is going to be a very interesting year for the country because no one's going to know what the fuck is actually going on in the world. So I think I think we will get a deal, uh, a decent deal and decent trade agreement with the EU because ultimately we are, although from a, from a kind of global viewpoint, you know, Britain, uh, in a way, still has some kind of like the empire mentality. And I think people do think Britain has a much higher position in the world than what it actually does. But I think from an EU perspective, they are still regarded as quite a valuable trading partner. So they will want to make sure that they get a decent deal uh, or a deal of sorts that will allow you know, some semblance of movement between countries, so I'm sure we're going to get like an Esther style system like we do going to America. So apply for a visa to go to, to Europe and stuff. Um, and then I think it's, it's, it's hard to know. It's that, it's that great unknown because we've been tied up in the EU for like 40 odd years. So it's going to take a long, long time to unpick a lot of the laws that we've got. I am fearful for things like the Human Rights Act. Um, I think that there is every chance that that will get scrapped and our commitment to the European Convention on Human Rights is going to be forgotten because I think the country, I think Parliament will probably vote to have some kind of a Bill of Rights instead. Um, So, yeah, I think from that perspective, I'm a bit fearful about what's going to happen on a social level. I think on a trade level, I think we'll be okay. I think we will probably suffer a little bit in the sense of certain industries are going to be badly affected. So we already know, like, uh, up in Sunderland, it was a Nissan that shut down uh, last year. I think quite a few of the car companies are going to want to manufacture in more European-friendly countries because of the tax breaks and whatnot. So I think we're going to take a hit, and I think we could potentially hit a recession, will be devastating for the country because we've already had nine years of austerity anyway. Uh, so to kind of double down for another five, possibly ten years or longer could be quite devastating generally. But I think in the interim, I think we're not going to notice too much different-wise, um, probably for at least a couple of years. But maybe in three, four years' time before the next election rolls around, I think that's when we're going to truly see where this is all going. Um and I think if, if the Tories fuck up Brexit, then I think that could be, that potentially could allow Labour to get back in, but only if they are able to get a solid team together. 
uh, have a coherent um, package. And that could possibly, at that stage, could possibly involve them saying, you know what, maybe we want to go back to Europe, maybe we want to go, go back into the EU because we've seen what, how badly it is for us when we're not there. You think that's a viable option to just, that they're just going to set that example to the other countries in terms of you can have your crack at stepping out, but you can always come back in? Or do you think it will basically set the opposite example and say, look, if you think the glass is greener, look, it's not. Like these, these assholes are begging their way back in now. Yeah, I think um, if, yeah, I think if Britain makes a good go of it, then you're going to see a lot of other countries are going to be wanting to have some kind of a referendum. So France, it was already kind of being talked about a little bit before uh, in their last elections, like Brexit, um, the Germans, potentially the Dutch. So I think Europe is going to be watching us to see how we crack on with Brexit. If we get it right, then I think this could be the start. This could be the beginning of the end of the European project. If we get it wrong, then it will be the beginning of the end for the Conservative government in the sense of, yeah, yeah, I said before about people being quite hardline, they will stick this out, come what may, but if you're really suffering financially, I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be the case for a lot of people going forward. So, yeah. Um, so the last thing I'm going to touch on, which would be silly to, mm-hmm. to not touch on, as I'm brown and you're black, um, yeah. are you concerned about living here? Do you feel... How does this election, how has the result made you feel and along with the uh, the comments and things that are coming out and, and now that Boris Johnson is your, is your Prime Minister because I know how it makes me feel but like you seem to uh, sort of be taking a more of a, a grounded stance about it and is this almost because you believe there's, it's not really possible to, um, to do some of the things that, that, that people are, are concerned about whereas obviously when they say you're all going back to your own country. It's not entirely possible, but I almost feel like if it was possible, then he would do it. Um, how do I feel? I, I think, again, it, it's, it's so hard because I think I don't want to take a stance of... Because um, I suppose I've never personally, I've never been attacked. Maybe that's to do with where I'm living, uh, where I've always lived, like in East London and now in Essex, and kind of never had really that issue. And I've always, I've grown up and I've lived in areas where there is a lot of diversity there, and I work in environments where there is a lot of diversity. So I think for me, I don't think that much is going to change because I've not really experienced that growing up. Um, I think in some of the more rural areas, maybe where there are, smaller contingent of ethnic minorities living there, they may experience they probably will experience um, higher levels of stuff around them which could be an issue but yeah I think for me I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm alright But and I think for me one thing that I'm trying to do a lot more of is kind of have that focus around okay this is going on but how can I potentially use this as a way to help my 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 family, my own situation and kind of, you know, what can I do that's gonna help benefit me, but then through doing that, what else can I do that's gonna help benefit society on a on a wider level as well. So I'm kind of just But it does seem to me like sort of that a lot of the time that history 
is brushed aside in terms of that the likelihood of repeating a Hitler and, and things. These almost seem to be brushed aside as mythological events from a time way, way back in the past, despite the fact that, that we have elderly people around that are living through them. And in terms of when we have Trump in power and we have Boris in power, it's almost disregarded in terms of saying, yeah, well, they're not going to do that much. Like, they're never going to, they're not going to get that much done. And I don't want to be in a position, of course we don't, where in hindsight we'll be like, yeah, we fucked up. We put these people in. But the thing is, is that why, why is history looked at in that way in terms of it's so far gone or it's so mythological almost that it's unrepeatable? I think people, I think we live very much in the here and now and I think that's part of the issue. So people's memories don't go, I mean, I remember growing up under a Thatcher government. So I remember the whole thing about milk being taken away from schools and how that, what that meant. And I also remember about Tony Blair coming into power and ushering this new wave of kind of prosperity and achievement and success for, for everyone. Um, so I think people kind of live more in the immediacy. And I think there is a bit of a disconnect because, you know, Hitler, we're talking, you know, this is almost 80 years ago since um, obviously the, the start of the Second World War. Um, and I think, for people, it's easy to kind of park that because it's not their lived experience. So I think for a lot of people, I think, you know, you hear this have a lot of lived experience, but I think a lot of people live in that, with that kind of mentality. So if it didn't happen to me, then I, I don't really know what much I can say about it. And I think as well, as a society, yes, I think for me, I feel like at the moment, populist politics is the thing, it's the rage around the world but you know, if you want to use history as an example you will see that that cycle will get broken as well so you know, you can only be populist for so long because when people find out actually your ideology is a crap of shit then people will just vote you up unless you find a way to consolidate your power in which case if you do try to do that people just you know, find a way to overthrow you and you know, kind of stage coups and stuff so I think, yeah, it's about the lived experience. It's about where people, what people's perceptions are, and ultimately how things are affecting them on a day-to-day basis. I think there was a time when we were people were thinking, you know, was it was the term? I think think local, act global. Now I think people are thinking the opposite in terms of the global side of things. Even though the world has become smaller, and you know, I can get to Australia and. 24-hour period by plane, but I just think there is that there's that disconnect because it's like, well, that's happening on that side of the world. It doesn't really affect me, so therefore, I don't really have much of a feeling about it. And so, yeah, so you, you, you don't feel in terms of this kind of it may be a little bit far-fetched, and it certainly probably won't come to fruition while I'm alive, but. It almost feels like Britain is coming full circle and we all remember how Britain came about and the the colonisation and things of that nature and British history, which they they actually don't teach you in school about what a fucking horrible place this is and and what a horrible past it has. Because it's a horrible country country when you look at the the background of it. Um, You don't think that we're heading towards a whiter, writer britain that will um that will come back round to 
to what it was and in terms of this sort of period where of multiculturalism that we had for a bit um, and now we're going back the, the, the other way and in terms of it will, it will come the full circle you don't, you don't have that fear at all no, I don't think it, I don't think it will come full circle. In my view, I think Britain, yes, there's a lot of multiculturalism, but also I think what you're finding is there's a lot more diversity in terms of relationships that are being formed, um, kids that are being born. You know, you're going to have situations where kids are born to grandparents who probably were in the National Front or BNP or whatever, and now suddenly they wake up to the fact that their daughter has married a black guy or an Asian and they produced a brown baby and you're like okay shit what am I going to do am oh I no it's exactly the situation that I'm in but yeah so yeah you know so am I going to hate on this child uh, and then by proxy I'm hating on the parents because they ultimately go against what I believe in or am I just going to be like you know what that was a period of my life but you need to move on and I do think the world is I think there's a lot of options for people now so I think if it was getting to that point where I felt that it was not a safe environment for myself and my my family to be in, then yeah, I would 100% start thinking about moving out. Uh, but until it gets to that stage, and I don't think it will, um, then, you know, I think for me it's just about, you know, riding the crest of the wave and um, let's see what happens, let's see how this Brexit plays out for people. And actually I think if Brexit is... If Brexit doesn't go the way that people want it to go, there's only so much, you know, the sensible people. And, if, and I think, for me, the biggest thing is when people start losing money, that's when people start to care. So if you're in that silent majority, at the moment you're thinking, yeah, my money's not affected, I'm all good, I'm all blessed, nothing's going on, then you're not going to say much. But if Brexit happens and you're not seeing your money and you're not getting what was promised to you, then I think we're going to see a bit of a uprising, but not in a negative way against ethnic minorities or anything like that. I think more against the government. Yeah, because there is a lot of people, including celebrities, that have come online and have just summarised this as as racist. Uh, you've had Elton John do that. You've had, um, I forget his name, something Hannah, the Scottish actor, that just says that this is pure... Yeah racism and this has become a racist country and that was the only thing that the people voted on it was just the immigrant it was almost just the immigration thing that, that that what is what just just simply what brexit stands for so a lot of people a lot of white people are almost taking that 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 view as well so i mean it, it is concerning yeah. I, I i don't think yet that um that that boris has revealed himself at all as much as as much as trump has because with his views on He's made a few comments, but with Trump's views on Islam and um, and other things that he's talked about, there's just pure racism there. And Donald Trump has always been a racist from wanting the uh, the the, the, oh, yeah. the black kid wanting the black kids killed back in the day uh, yeah. for the well, I believe it was a rape charge that they were on. Um, yeah, the New York um, case. Yeah, yeah, he's just always been a a, a, a complete racist uh, to the point where whereas I don't think really Boris I think I think Boris is almost I don't think he likes us but he's almost like it's not like he wouldn't associate or socialize with us but he's tol- he's almost more tolerant I think of it than Trump even almost struggles to tolerate it I feel well yeah I mean I, I think 
but I think that part of that is that it's that British thing. So people, if they're going to be racist, it's a lot more subtle. So it's more like, and again, I speak to somebody who works in the legal profession. It's more about you. You might get an interview for a job, but you won't get the job. People will never tell you why, but you know why type of thing. So it's a lot more undercover with the racism. It's a lot more. Uh, you know, the term that's thrown out a lot, the whole unconscious biases that go on and kind of lack of diversity, awareness and whatnot. That's where people stand on a lot of these things. But I think in America it's different because it's a lot more bolder. I think people are taught to speak their minds quite openly from, you know, very early on. Doesn't matter whether you're black, whether you're white. It's that freedom of expression. You know, you're American. It's your, it's your constitutional right to say what you believe in without fear of recrimination whereas I think over here there is that there, there is still that balance of I I might want to say this but I don't want to say it because if I do the laws that are here can seriously yeah it's, all, it's, it, it's almost like <coughs> I almost feel that I've almost landed on on sort of a the area where I feel that whereas Boris and his friends will sit around and they will use racist terminology uh in terms of calling people uh oh look at those uh, group of packies or niggers or whatever and it's almost i almost feel that's in their vocabulary and how they feel i don't yeah. think that they i don't think that they're much like trump where there's that hatred there in terms of not only calling people that but actually always thinking continually about how they can get them or get rid of them off the earth yeah i think i think there's two types yeah, of racism yeah. there's active racism yeah. and there's and there's just like passive racism yeah 100% I think you know what Boris does would come under the passive racism element so you know um, I think where it goes a step further is what Trump does in America which is making laws that deliberately single out a particular race or and, in, and incite further hatred and encourage yeah yeah so, so, so when you're doing that 216% increase in hate crimes under, under Donald Trump mm-hmm. Surprise me, unfortunately. Uh, I think his rhetoric has been very, very clear over the years. Um, you know, he's only been the president for three years. Possibly, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with this impeachment process, but obviously that's called for another day. Um, but yeah, I think it is clear where he stands on a lot of these things. Whereas I think with Boris, it's a lot more nuanced. So he will say things because he knows it will get a reaction and he knows that some people, people will be offended by it, but it's going to be a large chunk of the audience that will see it and be like, ah, he's one of us type of thing. He's one of us without us without him needing to say that. And that resonates with them because they are similar in that ilk. So they think in that way or they will say things in that way. Um, but, you know, they know how to straddle the line. So they know how to say enough where you know that the racist element is there but not to the point where you could have them done for offensive stuff, unless obviously, you know, stuff that's gone on that football recently with Raheem Sterling and uh, what happened with Fred at Man City uh, last weekend and stuff. So, yeah, uh, but I think it's going to be a very interesting couple of years, definitely, at the, at the initial anyway. I think the next two years are going to be ones to watch out for. I don't think, like I said, I don't think much is going to change for people 
um, necessarily. Um, and I think we're not going to feel the full, full impact of what this Conservative government is about probably until 2021. I think once Brexit happens, then I think it's going to be a case of watch this space. Um, well, as you mentioned football there, did you actually see the Italians uh, and the Italian football anti-racism logo? My God, I think Serie A just have honestly Italians and racism is yeah. I, I I just don't get it. Like it's literally it's like for them a black person to a monkey is for them uh, pasta with parmesan cheese or tomato sauce. It's like it goes hand in hand, and I just don't understand what the hell that league was thinking to commission oh we're going to do an anti-racist uh, campaign so what should we do oh I know what let's put um, gorillas on posters and paint them in um, club colours now if you cannot see what is wrong with that there's something seriously wrong with you well apparently you know, one of the monkeys one of the monkeys is white one's black and the other one's Chinese like you're supposed to tell with his eyes and if apparently oh. the, the slogan is like supposed to translate to "We're all apes." Yeah, I think again, as I said, I, my point still stands. If you cannot see, oh, I don't agree with it. I'm just telling that. you the reasoning. The yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean, but no, I think it's more for for the Italian league people. But if you cannot fundamentally see what is wrong with that, the fact that you know black players are routinely targeted in your league on a weekly basis, you know, the likes of the Kaku, even Balotelli, who is one of your own, that was targeted regularly when he was playing um, in Italy. And if you cannot see that link, I, I just think there's no hope for you. There's, there's just no, no, there is no hope uh, for you, no. Especially, no, under, this, especially if, under this uh, scrutiny. No, no. I, I think if you cannot see that, there's something wrong with that. Because you can imagine if um, Richard Scudamore of the Premier League decided to run a campaign like this my man would never work again simple as that he just would never work again because there will be so much outrage that people are going to be like we're not having a bar of this you should have shown better judgement like you're racist blah 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 in Italy that guy's probably going to get the equivalent of their knighthood because you know they won't see that there's anything wrong with what he's said or what he's done so yeah not good times I'm afraid all right, uh, where can we find you if you want to be found? Uh, yeah, so I am on Twitter, so you can get me at Umar, U-M-A-R, Kanka, K-A-N-K-I-Y-A. I'm on Facebook, just type my name in, LinkedIn, if you want to connect and offer me any job opportunities about mental health. Uh, you know, I'm always open to speaking around that. Um, yeah, so that's where, that's where I'm at. And we are at the on at Lock Betting, and of course, um, the Man Show podcast, a uh, Man Show pod. Sorry, is uh, is the Twitter account for this? Um, yeah, so we're we're going to try and get Nick on to cover sort of the other side of the pond for this because um, we wanted to cover it all, but I was kind of expecting a smaller majority or perhaps a um, another hung parliament. I was not expecting this kind of overwhelming result, and um, it was worth talking about 
the ramifications and whatnot of this at length. So, uh, which is what we've done. Uh, sorry, our, our Twitter is actually Man Show Podcast. I, I should know that seeing as I got it. Um, at Man Show Podcast. Uh, it's still new, so that's why I've not really learned it. But yeah, that's where we'll be over there. Um, the normal Man Show will be back this week with me and Cav looking at NFL Week 16 and a couple of um, crazy stories and events that have, that have happened to me personally this week, um, including a recorded phone call that we'll be putting up on the show. And then, as I said, um, another politics show should be coming if we can get Nick on. I don't know if you and Nick want to do it together, Umar, or shall I just do it with him? Um, you're a difficult man to, to get hold of at Christmas. Two kids, man, two kids. That's why Nick will know this. When he has his child, he will know how this boy is. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm yeah, actually heading out. to New York, so actually, it may do that one as a live one, and see if we can get you on uh, for maybe ten, twenty minutes or so, if you want, if you can find. The yeah, that'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. that'll be good. Okay, so that's it for this edition of the Man Show. As I said, we'll be back this week with me and Cav covering mainly the NFL and going through various stories. Thanks to Umar for coming in. Um, Great Britain is fucked as far as I'm concerned. So watch this space to see how bad it gets. <laughs>